Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA on this Tuesday, March 22nd. Folks, it is National Ag Day today. There is a lot of farm machinery on display on the mall in Washington, D.C., right there in front of the Washington Monument. We'll be checking in at the end of the show with legendary broadcaster Max Armstrong, who is out there in Washington, D.C., covering the Ag Day celebrations. Before we get to all of that, though, there is a lot happening both in the world of agriculture and in the broader broader. Globe, I suppose. We'll be talking in segment two with Ted McKinney. He's the CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, and they're looking ahead to Farm Bill 2023. And we're going to discuss what these state departments are looking for as that Farm Bill discussion heats up. And in segment three, we'll be speaking with Richard Morrison. He's a research fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And yesterday, the SEC issued a new rule mandating climate disclosures from all publicly traded companies. It's a game changer. Richard's going to walk us through what this means on the ground and how it could impact money flow broadly in the economy if it were to be finalized. But before we jump to all of that, folks, the markets are moving here on this Tuesday. And to help us make sense of them, Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk is joining me. Garrett, thanks for taking the time to come on this morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, Garrett. I'm watching these markets. We're seeing mixed trade in corn, old crop a little lower, new crop climbing, finally starting to see those spreads shrink. What's happening here in the corn market? It generally looks like, I mean, volumes are slowly starting to pick back up overnight. Uh, late last week, volumes were, were really kind of pitiful, um, but they're starting to pick back up. They're not great, but they're starting to pick back up. But uh, the one thing that's noticeable here today, I mean, the, the old crop, new crop spreads across the board, bean oil, meal, beans, uh, wheat, corn, they're all weaker. We're, you know, seven days away from the index rolls. Uh, it feels like we got some pre-positioning ahead of those type markets um, just to see this general weakness in the major life spreads across every contract here this morning. So um, corn, and, corn and bean oil seem to be a little bit more pronounced uh, maybe a little bit wheat as well, but um, you know the one thing I have been kind of keeping an eye on is this, this May corn. We have this wedge here that measures from 775 to, to 725, and we had a you know, potentially false breakdown here last week, and then yesterday looked like a false breakout. There's really no catalyst, in my opinion, for a breakout of this wedge until this end of month report. And and in reality, we're just in reality, we're just expanding the range here a little bit near term. So, um, you know, corn got a little bit of a boost from wheat, which which appeared to me to be more technical trade yesterday. We held that 20-day moving average uh, for three days in a row. But, you know, here we are testing that 1160 area, which were last week's highs, and, and, and we're failing again. So uh, a little bit of technical trade. I think maybe people are, have you know, might be coming back to the market because of the extreme volatility that we saw a week or two ago. Uh, kind of drove people to the sidelines, but maybe people are getting a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, having positions on. Garrett, it's interesting you bring that up, that decline in open interest, that decline in volume. We've seen this across the all commodities, really, over the past two weeks. It, it, was it just that volatility you mentioned there? Folks are coming back. Are we seeing it just in the ags or are, or is investment fund moving back into commodities broadly? Well, I mean, they've been. I mean, you, you look at commitment of traders. I think this past week, the old the old commitment of traders report. I mean, we set new uh, new record highs uh, in, in for the index long uh, in in corn and, and wheat uh, last week. So, you know, the the investment money, the the, the static index long uh, is is still involved. They haven't really gone, but the the, the hot money money you know man, money managers are involved. It's just reducing size and reducing risk while you know we just saw that extreme volatility that we saw i mean they're they're in the market but it's unlikely that it's it's new positions the initial knee-jerk reaction you know off of the the, the russian invasion you know not only created a, a, a 
you know, a, a paper risk off trade or a paper spike, but also you know a massive cash short out here because of the the loss of Ukrainian and, and, and Russian exports in, in the world market. Garrett, as you think about that month uh, month end report, planting intentions coming out of USDA, where's your head? What are you expecting to see when that report gets released? Uh, generally, I mean, the higher prices, uh, you know, market and myself, I mean, I'm looking for bigger acres across the board, you know, 181 type combined corn and beans. But I do think that uh, over the last three months that, uh, you know, more bean acres are, are I, I, I would not be surprised by if bean acres shock to the upside. Um, you know, I think that they can push towards 90 million acres, but I, I, I do feel uh, that corn acres might struggle just because of the, the input issues. But overall, we should see the general pie bigger. I know last year, you know, last year's disappointment, we had high prices this time last year, and we never really realized the, the big year-over-year increases. That, that might have um, you know, altered some people's mindset as far as where those acres go. But you know, here we are again, and, and usually it's, it, it's a multi-year deal if we're going to try to find back uh, uh, acres somewhere. But uh, you know, we're just cognizant of you know, last year the mantra was well it's it's uh whether it's urban sprawl or or whatnot that we have these general lost acres um you know if we have a confirmation and, and acres do come in smaller than expected then yeah that is the trend and and, and something we have to deal with and, and, and factor into our s and d's for for longer term well, thinking a little bit longer term, Garrett, in the Ag Trader Talk newsletter, you mentioned that Brazil has cut their ethanol import tariff to zero for the balance of 2022. Does that indicate to you that they're setting up for imports of ethanol? And if so, would it come from the U.S.? The arbitrage, yes. I mean, it's basically what you know, everyone's trying to fight inflation, uh, if you will. I mean, they've, um, you know, not only did they reduce the import taxed to zero on ethanol, but they also did on soybean oil, sugar, coffee, and margarine. Uh, obviously, for our market, soybean oil is the other one that takes notice. But um, the fact of the matter is, is not only they're trying to control inflation, Argentina did the same when they, 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 they quote-unquote raised the, uh, the export tariffs on meal and oil, but that's something that they've been trying to do for several years. But I think ultimately everyone's trying to control inflation here. Uh, not only did you know, Brazil lower the import tariff to zero, but they've also been trying to uh, tweak their, their, their blending mandates, just trying to keep prices in control. And, and that's what they're fighting is that their domestic oil energy prices, which are set, which are set by Petrobras, uh, continue to increase. And ultimately that, import, that impacts their infrastructure as well as, as, you know, I think probably trucker strikes or, or the next things we could possibly see coming down the road. Down in Brazil, how's that corn crop, that second crop, Safrina corn crop looking, Garrett? Fantastic. They've gotten, uh, they saw, pardon me, uh, pardon my language, they, they, uh, they saw five-inch rains uh, in areas of Mato Grosso. Uh, they really are fairly set here. Um, you know, it, it's it's, uh, it's, it's off to a fantastic start if this trend can continue. I think uh, the, the era was pointing up on Safrina corn production estimates. All right. We'll continue to keep an eye on that. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Have a great day. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we'll check in with Ted McKinney, CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Mass planting season begins across the country. The American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we spoke yesterday with Senator Charles Grassley about some of the things happening in Washington, D.C., and one of the things he mentioned was that it is just a slow process to get things done using the deliberative system that we have over there, which means if we're looking ahead to 2023, we should be making those plans now. One group that's doing that is the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Their CEO, Ted McKinney, joins us now. And Ted, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. You know, the last time we had the chance to speak, it was right at the end of your uh, winter policy conference. And uh, we talked about what you were looking at, but we didn't get a chance to discuss what NASDA was looking for in the 2023 Farm Bill. Ted, help set us up. What are state departments asking or hoping for as this Farm Bill discussion gets underway? Sure. Well, happy to. Well, we have 10 priorities. I won't go through all of them, but the whole issue of climate change would be one. Uh, uh, Cybersecurity is one that you don't oftentimes see, and we're trying to bring attention to that. Uh, Now, to be clear, you'll not see the Title I commodity listing there, but that's just because we leave that primarily to all our friends with the commodity. So we're right there uh, in full support as well. Right now, the climate change thing is, uh, is a, a big state of confusion. Now, we're thrilled that the Food and Ag Climate Alliance, which is a coalition of a lot of industry and farm and some NGOs, are, are sort of taking a very uh, measured approach. Uh, they're talking. Uh, this will surprise you uh, like crazy, but um, uh, the FACA is visiting regularly with the minority and majority ag staff in the Senate and the House, talking regularly with the White House. They to us, we to them. 
And so you never know how a farm bill will turn out, but we're thrilled that there are good, civil, and I believe productive discussions going on. And I thought your reader, your listeners should know that. That is good to hear. My goodness, we don't discuss enough about bipartisanship in D.C. I'm glad that ag is a place where they can find common ground. Ted, you touched on cybersecurity, and this is an issue that's of concern. Again, of course, we've seen uh, we've seen ag uh, institutions come under attack here over the past year. Now, with the situation in Russia, there's additional concerns. What would NASDA like to see? How can we help strengthen the rural economy from cyber attacks? Right. Well, I think it starts with just education. I remember when I was the director of the Department of Ag in Indiana, we had FBI come in and give a presentation to many, many, from seed corn to uh, equipment manufacturers and dealers and, and on, and it helps. There is the technology. There are the consultants out there that can help uh, shore up and teach and install some, some preventative kinds of software and equipment. But it starts with education because I think many in farming uh, and, 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 and on down the line into processing just either aren't aware or don't see themselves as vulnerable. You know, that's a gas line that's going to go after that. It's government they're trying to tap. And it's possible that they could start reaching farmers if we're not careful. So this is why we've listed it for sure. And another concern that I know state departments of ag have been watching closely, Ted, especially as avian influenza has started to spread, is animal disease. What are you guys hoping to see? Is it funding you're looking for? Do we need additional guidance or rulemaking? How can we help maintain the safety of America's animal supply? Sure. Well, unless you do something about migratory birds, it, it, it's going to always have the threat of being with us. I would say there is adequate funding. We have to keep it, though. Whenever we start talking about new funding for, you know, every, everything is gaga over climate change these days. And some of that's good. But if there starts to be a major shift of funds, are you robbing Peter to pay Paul? And right now it seems like APHIS and USDA have the money to indemnify those that do get uh, uh, avian flu, whether it's a backyard flock or a commercial operation. The education is there. I mean, those cases that have popped up in several states have been handled, Im I mean, immediately, very quickly, very professionally. So I think the knowledge is there. It's just the opportunity to make sure that you don't put somebody out of business if they do catch it. I'll add that we're, we're diving deeper into African swine fever. Now, our state vets have been very active with APHIS, as have farm groups, National Pork Producers Council, National Pork Board. And I'm actually in a meeting with them tomorrow to see how NASDA, and I'm speaking of the secretaries, the commissioners, and the directors, uh, can engage more. So it's not just high path avian flu, even though that's with us. It's all foreign animal diseases uh, that we're taking a harder look at, Mike. That is good to hear. Ted, I know that food safety broadly is another concern. What is one of the what are some of the issues I suppose you're looking at on the food safety front? Well, I'll tell you, we are deeply, deeply involved in that. Uh, years ago, about 12 years ago, when the Food and Drug Administration was hiring up and going to put people inspecting farms, uh, I won't go into the incident, but they had a very bad accident. Uh, uh, had people inspecting that didn't know anything about farming and and some of our members just absolute blew a gasket so what we're doing to their credit fda said you know maybe we should just let nasda and us train the trainer mostly in the states and the states who know the farmers know the crops know the culture know the geography the atmosphere they are doing the inspections, and we're making great progress in the area of food safety in produce, which was where it started. We're diving deeper in food safety in feed, uh, and so uh, I think we're on our way, but it's going to take some time, and we've got to get more states involved. i got to say that most of FBA has recognized the error of those um, incidents 10 years ago or so, and it's going in the right direction. Now, this is going to be nonstop. The watch out is foreign food. Now, we want to trade. Don't get me wrong. We must have imports continue, but we've got to have a level playing field and make sure that 
they are abiding by the same rules that our farmers, ranchers, and processors are, Mike. That is true, Ted, and I'm glad to hear that uh, we're learning from some of the mistakes of the past and making this a little bit more efficient. Ted, as I was looking through the list of priorities for NASDA, nine of them are very broad. They certainly you know, would, would attach to most states, and one was very specific, and that's hemp. Um, that's a market that, of course, has, has seen ups and downs over the past few years. As NASDA thinks about hemp, what are you guys looking to achieve? Sure. Well, it's very important to our members. Uh, They are getting the hue and the cry from people in their states or their commonwealths to see about hemp. Uh, Right now, the most concerted uh, voice is to add hemp into animal feed. So we've listed it because it's a broad area that requires many, many different actions. This is not a snap of the finger and you're in business. It should probably start, and we have already started, by working with FDA to get the studies complete that give the consumers comfort that it is safe and useful in animal feeds. We think it is, but we need for that scientific process to take place. We have to always separate uh, hemp for animal food or other feeds from the oil, which can sometimes be a bit more controversial. And for goodness sake, we are... Uh, We are uh, in overdrive to keep anything hemp, including CBD oil, uh, separate from cannabis as in marijuana. Those two don't mix, and sometimes it's easy to conflate them. So uh, we think there's some value in hemp. We really do. I'll give you an example. In my home state of Indiana, we have two counties that used to produce hemp for rope in World War II. I mean, it grows wild in the ditch. So there was a day when it was fully accepted I think marijuana and the more draconian parts of cannabis have have painted that picture a bit more ugly. So we've got to find a way to separate these two, bring the good or the better parts of hemp along. And so it's driven by our members, and we are here dutifully uh, working on that. That's the best I can uh, offer up. Okay, no, I'm glad you glad you clarified that, Ted. It's always good to hear. More broadly, as you think about how state departments of ag are faring, Ted, we have heard so much about labor challenges across really the whole U.S. economy. Do you feel as though state departments of ag are are ready to uh, to tackle some of the issues that farmers might be bringing forward this next year? Oh yes, and and we have been. But that said, it's not been working. So we are actually. Uh, Uh, lifting up our game. Um, We have a voice. We are co-regulators. We get calls oftentimes before anybody else does, and we place calls. We want our federal-state relationship to be strong and positive, and so we are raising our voices to get those very points across. We need guest labor. We need to address those problems. We certainly do, and we appreciate the work of NASDA in bringing those issues to attention in Washington, D.C. That's Ted McKinney, CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Ag. And stay with us, folks. When we return, Richard Morrison of CEI will join us to take a look at what the SEC is proposing for climate disclosure. Stick around on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, exporters sold another 8.8 million bushels of U.S. old crop soybeans to unknown destinations over the past 24 hours, according to USDA's daily report. The trade will assume that this is another sale to China. The purchase comes after U.S. Gulf 
values once again fell below Brazilian offers amid the short South American crop. USDA data currently shows that China has 76 million bushels of unshipped purchased soybeans on the books for the current marketing year, with unknown destinations holding at least another 162 million bushels. China has another 207 million bushels of new crop on the books, while unknown destinations have another 74 million bushels on the books as well. We're watching this. Uh, all of this is putting an increasing focus on next week's USDA planting intentions report which will be the baseline for the 22-23 marketing year balance sheet. And we continue to watch the war in Ukraine with Russia's invasion and how that's impacting trade and crops and possible planting in that region coming into spring. Wheat led the way higher for the grain and oilseed sector overnight on tight food supply concerns, but we have seen the grains back off just a bit here as we work through our morning trade. Taking a look at current numbers, May corn down eight and three quarters, seven forty-seven and a half. December corn up two and three quarters, six sixty-six and three quarters. May beans down two and a half, sixteen eighty-eight and a half. November beans eight and three quarters higher, fourteen ninety-eight and three quarters. May bean meal down five twenty a ton, four seventy-six ten. Maybe oil down fifteen points, seventy-three fifty-six. May Chicago wheat ten and a quarter higher, eleven twenty-nine and a half. May Kansas City wheat. Up 15 and a quarter, 11.28 and a half. May spring wheat up 10 and a quarter, 10.99. April live cattle up 25, 140.30. March feeders up 97, 157.07. April hogs down 90, 99.72. Crude oil down $1.42, 110.70. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we just heard from Ted McKinney, and when I asked what the policies were that NASDA was looking for in the 2023 Farm Bill, the first thing that came out of his mouth was climate. We are seeing a lot of enthusiasm for climate change issues and climate change policies, and this is more than just in agriculture. This spreads across the broad economy as well. Yesterday, the SEC had a meeting, and in their meeting agenda, they mentioned that they will, quote, the commission will consider whether to propose amendments that would enhance and standardize registrants' climate-related disclosures for investors. And they ended up rolling this proposed rule out, and it's going to change the way companies report and disclose the risks of climate on their business. Joining me today to help break this down is Richard Morrison. Richard is a research analyst with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Richard, you've been watching this very, very closely. Let's start with what was the rule that the SEC proposed yesterday? Well, thanks. Uh, the uh, rule is, uh, I have a copy sitting in front of me. It's a little over 500 pages long, and it uh, covers a lot of, uh, just like you said, uh, uh, suggestions of for that for now just proposals uh, for how companies should uh, report on climate-related information, including how many uh, tons of greenhouse gases they emit, uh, uh, but also things like internal things like how they manage uh, and plan for uh, climate futures, uh, the oversight and governance of climate-related risks uh, is one of the uh, the bullet points they uh, put out. Uh, so, describing even how how the, the board of directors and the CEO, what sort of procedures and meetings they have about this sort of thing. Uh, it sounds like it could be uh, uh, quite detailed, although 
as, as you pointed out, the, in the, the SEC's description, they said they're you know, proposing amendments to existing rules. Right now, we are at the mid, midpoint. Uh, for about a year, they've been working on this. This is a proposal. And then we've got some time to comment on it before there's an actual final rule. And commenting on it, of course, is where things start to get hot. Richard, as you look at this proposed rule, if it were to go into effect, what sort of impact would you anticipate? Well, I think you'd see a uh, a lot of additional money being spent by corporations on uh, compliance, on accounting, on consultants, on attorneys. Um, The... The commission right now, the SEC, has uh, has three Democratic members and one Republican member. Usually it would be three to two in this case, but uh, one of the Republicans just uh, left. So uh, Hester Peirce is the one Republican on the uh, commission, and she uh, spoke at the at the meeting not, not very uh, kindly about uh, the proposal. And uh, she mentioned a couple times the phrase, the climate industrial complex, by which she means all the people who have, who have businesses, who have jobs, who have uh, companies that profit off of people talking about making rules about uh, climate change. So there is probably in the short term, there's going to be a huge amount of work for people who are consultants and accountants and what they call ESG, environmental, social and governance, uh, investing advisors, um, just to make sure that all of these things, which some companies were doing before, but were more or less voluntary, uh, now that they're going to be required, companies are going to have to take them a lot more seriously and they're going to have to be considered higher up, you know, the, uh, the food chain, the general counsel, the corporation is going to have to pay a lot more attention to these things. Uh, and so I think, unfortunately, it's going to have very little effect on the climate uh, or the environment, uh, but will have a huge effect on the, uh, uh, the vacation budget of people who are investment consultants. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Richard, as you think about what the SEC is trying to address, they mentioned in their, their lead up to this that they want to make sure that investors know fully about the climate risks that could come from investing in companies that are perhaps doing something that could harm the climate. As this rule, if it were to be finalized, these requirements would apply to every single company, correct? Publicly traded? Uh, yeah, publicly traded companies. Uh, the, the SEC in the past has, has talked about possibly moving beyond just publicly traded companies, but, but for now, that's that's what the rules focused on. And these publicly traded companies, the ones that want to disclose this to their investors or the ones whose investors demand this kind of information, you mentioned there are already voluntary programs to do it. Uh, are these rules necessary? Uh, well, I would say no, and I, and I, and I actually think beyond that, that having a single government mandated set of rules might actually be uh, worse than what we have now. So there's a handful of uh, big uh, nonprofit organizations that have, you know, worked with big companies and industries for, for several years now. Um, one of them, the the SEC actually mentions and cites and, and sort of incorporates some of the stuff uh, they've done. That's called the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. So they're sort of pulling some of that voluntary uh, guidance into this new rule, which will be mandatory. Um, and w- what they've argued is that, well, it's too confusing for there to be multiple different sets of standards and frameworks and measurements, so we need just uh, just one. But, you know, my perspective is that there should be, you know, a market for all of these things and, and that you can have a market for a product where people compete to provide the best product, you can have a market for a service, and you can even have a market for these climate ratings and rankings and frameworks as well. Uh, when you get competition, uh, you get a sort of what we call you know, iterative process where you have one set of rules and another one, and hopefully you get a little bit more improvement each time. You can incorporate feedback from the companies that are participating, and you can improve them. And, uh, but with government policymaking, it doesn't work that way. Right? Uh, you have one rule, takes a lot of time to write it, it gets published, it gets enforced, and there's very little flexibility on the end. And there's no incentive for anyone to provide a better uh, set of rules or framework to go by. So I think, you know, the, the sort of takeover of this is actually might even hold the, the climate agenda itself back because there'll be one and only one set. And, you know, the other problem with regulation sometimes is that uh, it becomes a floor rather than a ceiling, meaning companies do the minimum to comply with the regulation and nothing more. 
And if anyone asks, well, why aren't you doing more? They just say, well, we're complying with all federal rules. So having multiple frameworks, um, I think, is said to be sort of confusing, but I think ultimately it produces better outcomes in the long run. Indeed. And, and, and Richard, as we think about the timing of this proposal right now, we are in an era where crude oil prices are over $100 a barrel. We're seeing massive inflationary shocks really throughout the economy. A rule like this, were it to be finalized, of course, we've got the 60-day comment period. I, I don't imagine this is going to encourage oil companies to drill more. Where do you see the impact of this being felt most quickly were this rule to be finalized? Yeah, well, it it depends uh, to some extent on what the sort of you know penalties for non-compliance end up being. You know, this is a uh, a compliance regime, so it's not a hard rule that says companies have to reduce their greenhouse gases by five percent. It says they have to compose uh, to, uh, to to tell everyone and disclose what they're doing. But one interesting thing about this is that there are in this proposal, there are some ifs, right, which you normally don't have in federal regulations. They usually just tell you what to do. They say if the company has adopted this certain plan or if the company is using this sort of analysis or if the company is doing this other thing, then they have to disclose it. Uh, I think that's going to cause a lot of companies to pull back and not want to disclose more of these things. Um, by making it more difficult and risky to participate in all of this, I think companies are going to actually pull back as much as they can. Which So there might actually even be less information out there. Um, in terms of short, but as, as, you know, as you're referring to the, the short-term impact on, on energy prices and things like that, I think it probably will have very little impact on that. Um, people will still be, to, be able to invest in things like you know, hydrocarbon companies, exploration, things like that. Um, this, I think, may have a longer-term effect on climate finance and people being willing to, to invest big sums of money in, in that in the future. But in the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months, um, probably mostly just paperwork costs. You mentioned a statement from uh, Commissioner Hester Price, the uh, the Republican commissioner. She raised an issue that I'm sure is on your mind, and that's does the commission have the authority to issue this rule? Is climate change disclosures, are climate change disclosures, something the SEC can regulate? Well, the uh, one of the arguments that, uh, and I guess that Commissioner Purse herself made, is that the the SEC already regulates disclosures of what they call material information. So if something is, quote, materiality, you know, and that it, it, it affects your bottom line, and it is something significant to how your company operates, then you already need to disclose that, right? It, it doesn't matter whether it's about climate or about recruiting workers or about, you know, whether people are, you know, still interested in buying your product 10 years from now. If you have important material information, uh, you need to disclose it, period, right? This just sort of creates a separate subcategory of that, which on the surface seems to me and some other observers seems to really be unnecessary. Um, but the, the more important question, you know, which you pose, which is, does it make sense for the SEC, which regulates finance and markets, to get into what is essentially environmental regulation? I think they don't have that authority. And there's plenty of people who have, you know, written about that. Uh, I know the Mercatus Center at George Mason University had a, a study out last year by a guy named Andrew Volmer. Um, who wrote, I think, a pretty you know, convincing argument that the SEC does not have this authority to regulate environmental uh, issues like this. And, of course, the problem is, even if you are in favor of more environmental regulation, if the SEC starts getting into the EPA's you know, bailiwick, what's, what's stopping every other federal agency from interfering in every other one in the future? Right? Like oh, the agency yes. has, they have jobs, and you know, it seems reasonable that each agency should stick to its job, but you would they, they you would think that would be the case. Not Richard not. Morrison, research analyst at CEI, thank you for joining us today. And folks, stick around. We'll check in with Max Armstrong from Ag Day in DC when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. 
And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Kyle Parker, District Manager for CHS Lubricants, about preparing your planting equipment for spring. Kyle, planting season is just ahead. What sort of prep work should farmers do now to set themselves up for success later? Yeah, having a maintenance schedule is a good place to start. Ideally, we'd recommend that you service your equipment after fall and before you put it away for the winter. However, if you were not able to do that, now is a perfect time to change all the appropriate fluids and take oil samples. Taking oil samples before you change fluids is a proactive approach to avoiding untimely errors, repairs, and downtime. Senex Lubricants offers a LubeScan program, which is an oil analysis program that helps you monitor your equipment through oil sampling. I like to use the analogy that this is similar to you taking soil samples in your fields. The Senex LubeScan program will tell you everything you need to know about what is going on inside your engine. Why is it important to perform a lubricants checkup before getting out into the field? It is important because you want to ensure your equipment is ready when Mother Nature says it's time to be in the field. Simple things like checking all fluid levels and greasing all the grease points will go a long way to keeping you in the field and not performing maintenance or repairs when the sun is shining. What other parts of the equipment may need lubrication before planting season? Things like greasing the bearings, the ball joints, steering components, and hitch pivot points are important. Using the proper grease is also important to help reduce friction, protect against corrosion, and seal out dirt and water. But not all greases are created equal. Knowing your equipment's needs and understanding grease compatibility will keep your equipment running smoothly. Senex offers a wide variety of greases for farm machinery. Premium products like BlueGuard 500 Plus and Red Protect XT are great options for general multi-purpose use on the farm. For further information on Senex grease or other Senex lubricants, you can visit your local Senex dealer or go to Senex.com. That's Kyle Parker of CHS Lubricants. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, planting season is getting underway. Some folks down in Texas have already got started putting that corn in the ground. And as the temps warm up, the farther north you go, a lot of us out in rural America are going to have to be keeping our eyes open for farm machinery on the roads. We are used to seeing it out here in rural America. Well, today, some folks in urban America are going to have to keep an eye out for farm machinery as well. Today, of course, March 22nd is National Ag Day. And this year, a celebration is being had on the mall in Washington, D.C., with lots of farm machinery lined up. Legendary farm broadcaster Max Armstrong is on the mall today for Ag Day. Max, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that legendary thing. You need to rein that in a little bit, Michael. How are you, sir? I am great, but I'm curious, Max, at Ag Day today, what all is going on? How are we celebrating modern agriculture in D.C. today? Oh, it's very cool. I'm standing right out on the National Mall right now. You know that stretch of grass that runs from the Capitol building down to the Potomac and uh, down toward the Washington uh, National Washington Monument here at the end of the, the National Mall. And it's, it's, oh, 65 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, uh, just very pleasant beautiful day i'm standing out of the green grass looking at the, the blossoms in the trees over there and you have equipment here from agco massey ferguson fent mahindra uh case ih of course Kloss is here john deere with a big display they brought in their x9 combine and silhouetted against the, the washington monument it is quite a sight i don't think i mentioned Kubota. they're here as well it's put together by the association of equipment manufacturers that is fantastic. And Max, it's tough, I think, for a lot of us in rural America to think about for folks in D.C., whether they're residents or policymakers or legislators, this might be the best opportunity they've got to actually see these machines up close. Have you had much local interest in Ag Day so far? It has been outstanding to watch this. There, there are a lot of school kids on class trips. For example, a friend of mine, uh, they brought a bunch of students from North Posey High School at Poseyville, Indiana. And these kids looked out there and they said, wait a minute, we feel like we're home. But conversely, uh, during the noon hour, you see families here that are coming through on vacation to see all of them, the sites of Washington, D.C. And you do indeed see policymakers and lawmakers. Uh, some of the U.S. senators were out here yesterday, uh, Bozeman and uh, Stabenow, they were both out here early in the day. Secretary of Agriculture Bill Sackers to come out and deliver some remarks this afternoon. So there's a real good opportunity to interface in all of these booths, the various companies, including the uh, dairy equipment companies. I'm looking over at Lely right now. They are here. De Laval is here. The um, National Agriculture Aviators Association has a helicopter here with a spray boom on it. That gives them a, a real good opportunity to talk about some of the issues that matter uh, to them with members of Congress and also the folks of the regulatory agencies. And Max, as you're thinking about, you're talking to folks from the ag industry who are here hoping to interface with these, these people who make decisions that impact our daily lives. What are some of the concerns you're hearing from industry? What do they hope to, to bring to the attention of the general public there in DC? You know, EPA is always an agency that interfaces with agriculture and in a number of ways, as you know. And it's not just ethanol policy. You know, the Equipment Manufacturers Association is concerned about regulations on engines, emission uh, controls, and things with which they might have to comply in the future. I was, I was talking with the aerial applicators here, and they have some regulatory concerns with the FAA uh, when it comes to marking of towers you know, some of these wind test towers that are going out before they put in wind farms or as they're putting in wind farms, those are real tough on the aerial applicators. They're concerned about hitting those. And so there are some tower marking requirements that are of interest to, to that group. So it's uh, it's just an interesting cross-section of issues that, that matter, and uh, it gives them some face time with uh, these lawmakers when they come through. That is important. If you're going to have these conversations, when those of us in rural America go to D.C., it helps if the folks in D.C. know what we're talking about when we're raising these concerns. Max, obviously, getting all of this equipment to downtown Washington, D.C. had to be a bit of a chore. What? Where is everybody parked? I mean, are we just spread out across the mall right now? Yeah, they're around the perimeter of the mall. I'm standing out in a grassy area, and there's nothing on the grass out here. I mean, it's all on the, 
there's kind of a crushed rock uh, surface around the perimeter of the, the grass here. And I would say these displays are stretched out over about a half mile down each side of the grassy area. And uh, it's, you know, it's just a great relaxed thing. There's some food trucks down here at the end of the grassy mall. They'll be, they'll be pulling a few more of those in, I would imagine, around lunchtime. And people are just really enjoying, you know, sitting out of the grass and, and having this chance to visit. And there are some farmers here. I would hasten to point out Chip Bowling is here, whose farm is only 45 minutes away from where I'm standing at the moment and is a past corn growers leader and, and very active in, in other associations as well. Uh, he's been up here many, many times, and uh, uh, he's such a great spokesman for fellow farmers. And so we had the chance to visit a little bit yesterday while he was here. Uh, on the other hand, there's some have traveled several states away to be here. I believe that. And Max, a little bit later on today, a program gets underway. You mentioned Secretary Vilsack will be speaking. Are we expecting any policy rollouts or will this just be an affirmative sort of rah-rah, here's to agriculture type speech? You know, I would imagine he's not going to break any new ground, but I haven't seen the context of his presentation. I was told that he'll probably be speaking for about a half hour, which to some of us seems like a long time, but uh, maybe he'll uh, give us the Cliff Notes version of that. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful day for it. I'll say that. And there's not a threat of rain. They had a terrible rainy day last week here for setup. Just a reminder of, you know, what the spring can be like in the nation's capital. They have truly been blessed. And Kurt Blades, I know, is so excited from the AEM. Association of Equipment Manufacturers for the, the hand he's been dealt this week. That is fantastic. And Max, I'm sure that folks can tune into this week in agribusiness this weekend to see some footage of the Ag Day event. Absolutely. We'll share some of the visits with a number of people that we've had here, and you know, you'll get to see and some of the images that we've seen. Fantastic, folks. Do be sure to tune in this weekend to This Week in Agribusiness with Max Armstrong. And until tomorrow, folks, stay well. We'll be back. We'll be talking markets with Arlen Suderman on tomorrow's show, as well as Asian meat demand with the outbreak of COVID throughout China. Tune in on Wednesday to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex premium diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall, but it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.